the kind of radical pro-Israeli partisans have, in essence, conceded defeat. And what they're now trying to do, instead of fight this discourse on the facts, is simply literally to rewrite it, to frame a new narrative for a new generation of young people. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman, and you're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. Human rights activists in Virginia are fighting to protect the quality and accuracy in history and social studies textbooks in elementary and high schools in the state, as Israel advocacy organizations are proposing substantial changes to the texts. Proposed edits by Israel lobby groups would change the way Israeli history is depicted in textbooks, deliberately whitewashing its military occupation and ongoing policies of land theft, apartheid, and expulsion of Palestinians. The Virginia Coalition for Human Rights, along with professors and educators around the state, are urging textbook publishers Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, McGraw-Hill, Prentice Hall, and National Geographic not to adopt what they say are factually challenged, biased, and exclusionary recommendations and have appealed to the state's leadership as well. Joining us to talk about this are three guests, Paul Norsey, co-chair of the Virginia Coalition of Human Rights, Dr. Michael Fishbach, professor of history at Randolph-Macon College in Ashland, Virginia, and Jean Trebolsi, an educator in Northern Virginia. Paul, Michael, and Jean, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. For having us. So let's begin by having you lay out the story here. Uh, Paul, how were you made aware that these edits were being considered by the Virginia Department of Education and that Israel lobby groups were behind these proposed changes? Lay out uh, the scene for us. Yeah, well, in April, um, several people came across news reports, uh, primarily by the um, on PR Newswire from the um, Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy, IRMEP, that um, that revealed that these changes had been requested, and when we looked into the changes that were requested, we were um, we were very disappointed and alarmed at the kind of changes that were being requested. This was back in April, and to further increase our alarm, we found we learned that the these the recommendations had already been made. The textbooks had already been selected by the Virginia Department of Edu- Education. And um, so we were behind the curve and we had to catch up quickly if we wanted to do anything. And, and on top of that, we also learned from the same news reports that the same organization, the Institute for Curriculum Studies, that made these very questionable that requested these very questionable edits, ICS um, was boasting that it had already made previously made more than 11,000 such edits to U.S. textbooks. So this really alarmed us, and we felt we had to do something about it. And so that's why we we pursued the issue. And... uh... Do you know which other states uh, have have adopted these recommendations? And do you do you know if this is kind of an unprecedented? Like, are, are there other, um, you know, political 
organizations working on behalf of a foreign state that that make these kinds of recommendations to show their country in a better light than perhaps reality um, uh, mirrors. Well, I, I think there are interest groups that do that push things that are probably not the best things to, to go into textbooks um, from various biased perspectives. And we believe that it's very important to um, to to have textbooks be very factually correct because it's it's a it has a huge impact on students when if you know students many in many cases are learning things that they won't have much opportunity to learn about in other places so for example when a student studies history in in high school many students won't study history beyond high school they they might not go to college or if they go to college they study other things they might become doctors lawyers engineers, whatever, but not study more history. And they would always carry this false information in the back of their head. And uh, this is a danger to our democracy because people use what they think they know when they practice democracy and in their lives. And it could really um, have detrimental effects far beyond uh, Virginia. These textbooks, while they're being adopted by Virginia, are used nationwide as far as we know, um, we don't have specific details on edits in other states, but we know there are um, that ICS is working in other states. Um, I believe Kentucky and Oklahoma are coming up with new reviews for textbooks, social studies textbooks in the near future. Um, so we we do. Th- this is a much bigger than just Virginia, but we're starting here because that's where we are. Um, and and uh, hopefully we can have some impact here, and that could and and then we could go on from there. Jean and Michael, you're you're both educators. Uh, Jean, what do you know about these edits? Can you talk about what some of the specific recommendations that uh, that are being proposed um, look like? What what they what they say? Yes. Before I start that, I would like to um, add something to what Paul said. Uh, ICS, the Institute for Curriculum Studies, based in California, uh, has been recently um, received a lot of money uh, to host an online course on the history of Israel-Palestine, and they also have received money to hire two additional teachers to host workshops throughout the country on how to teach the history of Israel-Palestine. So that sort of answers your question about how ICS can continue to impact states. Um, And as far as specific edits, uh, of course, as Paul said, we oppose these edits because we feel that they would degrade the accuracy of the textbooks. But um, I'd like to talk about two edits and then bring Michael in. We believe that um, they use sanitizing language that depict a partisan view, and that is true of two of the themes here. Um, They talk about, in other words, they don't want to talk about Palestine. They'll talk about Palestinians, they'll talk about mandatory Palestine, but they will not uh, allow the word Palestine to be in any textbook. And an example would be they'll say 
substitute the word Israel and Palestine to Israel and the Palestinians. And the reasoning, as stated, is there is no state of Palestine, nor has there ever been one. Um, another edit that relates to how uh, language is misused, they ask that words such as occupied territories replaced with captured areas, uh, that the word settlers be replaced with the word communities, that the word occupation be replaced with control of, the word wall be replaced with security fence, and the word militant be replaced with terrorist. Uh, Dr. Fishback and I were speaking earlier today uh, about how language matters, and I was wondering, uh, Dr. Fishback, if you'd like to comment on that. Sure. Um, language does matter, and as a professional historian, it has troubled me particularly in the last year and a half of the Trump administration, but for a period beyond that, too, where basic facts established by scholars, by scientists, are openly called into question, that any time one disagrees with something in America today, it is said, well, that's a fake fact, fake news. And quite often, ironically, the people who claim that there is a great liberal or left-wing bias in academia or in the schools uh, and purport, as this group does, to, to use more neutral language are themselves the ones that are interjecting highly partisan concepts and terms. I mean, I'm reminded last year of the school district in Texas that referred to slaves as immigrants. Um, so it's, it's difficult for me to imagine as an educator, I mean, how in future generations am I to deal with students who question, I believe in questioning, question things, absolutely. But if you probe, you will find that on many matters in, in human life that experts really have come to a conclusion about things. I mean, you know, um, 1776, July 4th, is when the Declaration of Independence was signed. I mean, for a silly example, I mean, you, you, you can interpret the, concept of the Declaration any way you want, but that's when it was signed. I mean, this is really the discussion about whether this happened is over. So it really, this kind of thing is insidious because it undermines, as uh, Paul and Jean said, the very nature of, of the role of education in a democracy, which is to inform people. And, and I find that incredibly uh, insidious. Yeah, and if these edits are adopted by these textbook publishers, it really signals a critical way in which, uh, you know, information is being allowed to be orchestrated by groups which have specific agendas, you know, specifically, uh, in this case, in service to discrimination and racism. Um, and uh, you know, across the country, we see how external groups with very right-wing Zionist agendas are pressuring university administrations to clamp down on criticism of Israel on campus and in the classrooms. There's surveillance and blacklisting of members of faculty who dare to speak up for Palestinian rights or to even encourage their students to think critically about the dominant narrative. Um, how... how Will this impact critical thinking skills, and, and how does this feed into the practice by Israel-aligned groups to dominate the narrative? 
Well, if I may chime in on that point, I see this as part of a wider agenda that's been going on for some time, as you correctly pointed out. Until now, the publicity has been on the university level. I think the reason is that in the past 50 years, the discourse of Palestinian liberation has increasingly come to be accepted almost globally. There are a few pockets left on earth, the United States being one of them, where some people still resist that. And I think that the kind of radical pro-Israeli partisans have, in essence, conceded defeat. And what they're now trying to do, instead of fight this discourse on the facts, is simply literally to rewrite it, to frame a new narrative for a new generation of young people, because they've really lost the public relations battle, because the facts, you know, are the facts. And the vast majority of the world understands the Arab-Israeli conflict in a certain way that they don't like. And so they're really trying to create new facts. And that's part of, I think, uh, this wider agenda that includes the kind of things you've talked about, groups like the Canary Mission, um, you know, who, who go around and spy on people. Um, and I might add, I also think it's part of a, a more general right-wing um, assault on truth that we see in this country, uh, reframing things about the civil rights movement, about slavery, about the Confederacy and things like that. So the, the pedigree of this is, it goes back and it essentially, like I said, represents a new strategy that more or less concedes that they've lost the PR battle thus far. And so they'll just create uh, a new landscape with new language. If well, I may add yeah, to that, um, because I was um, taught in Virginia for many years, and I taught fourth grade history, um, I am familiar with the standards of learning in, for history and social studies that has been adopted by the Virginia Board of Education in 2015. And, of course, you are right. They want Virginia students to possess critical thinking skills. They want them to be historically literate and what they call historical, to possess historical understanding. And then they uh, parse this through and they say to get historical thinking, of course, you need to have critical thinking skills such as questioning and making reasoned judgments that are logical and well thought out. Um, it's a way of thinking in which you don't really accept everything, but you possess an attitude that questions. Um, the problem being that all these higher-order thinking skills, such as observation and analysis and interpretation, which Virginia wants the kids to have, these are all abilities that cannot be put into practice until you get the facts. They all rest on knowledge that is based on facts. So without facts, you can't access higher-order thinking. You cannot access critical thinking skills. Well, Jean and Paul, uh, let's talk about how the Virginia Coalition for Human Rights and professors uh, such as yourselves are, are fighting back. Um, you wrote a letter to Governor Ralph Northam urging him to freeze the suggested changes to Virginia social studies textbooks uh, made by the Institute of Curriculum Studies and to ensure that academic freedom and accuracy are protected in the state of Virginia. Um, has the governor responded to your letter yet? Um, no, we have not received a response from the governor's office yet. Uh, we, are, um, we are planning to follow up um, with not just the governor, but also the secretary of education and uh, 
particular staff within the Secretary of Edu- within the Department of Education that deal with history and social studies. Um, we've already actually uh, one of our members recently talked. At, at, at an event recently in Richmond, uh, talked briefly with uh, Secretary Carney about uh, Secretary of Education Carney about the um, about our concerns, and um, so he has been alerted to them not only by the letter that we sent him, but also verbally face to face, and we intend to do that with you know, whoever we can, but particularly people who are decision makers in the process in the Department of Education and also in the General Assembly, the the House of Delegates um, Education Committee and the, and the Virginia Senate Education Committee. Um, they were all copied on the letter that we sent to the governor. So they all have the letter there, you know, so they they should be aware of our concern, but we will be, we, you know, we have to follow up in person to really make sure that they understand our concern and, and, and we can engage them in a discussion on what to do. Um, we've also started getting, uh, we've gotten one response so far from one of the publishers, um, uh, Pearson, and it seems fairly positive. They say they, they claim that they are going to review everything very critically, all the suggested edits, and they will, will they they will strive to maintain accuracy and uh, unbiased information in their textbooks. And so we want to we want to take them up on that, and we're going to follow up with them as well. They we we've established the contact, and now we just need to follow up and make sure. I mean, really, these textbooks weren't very good to start with, frankly, um, in terms of their coverage of the Middle East. And uh, the the ICS edits would have made them even worse. But there is, even without the ICS edits, there is plenty of room for improvement. Uh, there is a lot, as you know, a lot of misinformation in the U.S., the mainstream media, and even in, in textbooks, um, unfortunately, uh, misinformation or just um, uh, inaccurate information or just not enough information. And there's so much ignorance. And that's really a huge part of why the U.S., you know, our tax money is funding, you know, the atrocities of, you know, having this huge open air, biggest open air prison in history of, you know, in Gaza, for example, where um, people are blockaded and trapped and, and bombed and, um, etc. Uh, you know all these human rights abuses, and this is ultimately a human rights issue, and and our tax money is paying for it, and most people don't realize what what's happening because, again, of the lack of information, and and it's you know it's as as Franklin Roosevelt once said, you know, democracy can't succeed unless those who express their choice are prepared to choose wisely and the real safeguard of democracy therefore is education. So it's very critical uh, from a human rights perspective and from a democracy perspective to uh, follow up and make sure that not only these edits don't get implemented, but uh, some, some edits do get implemented that may, that improve the quality of education on the Middle East 
at least in textbooks, you know, not to mention the mainstream media. <laughs> May I just quickly follow up Absolutely. with that by saying, as a university professor, I am perpetually astounded by the, the lack of knowledge that students come with. Um, I think many people who probably listen to your show, who um, go, you know, onto electronic intifada on the internet, are very familiar with the Middle East and may not sometimes stop to think how how different they are from so many people. I mean, I deal with college students. Okay, we're not even talking about just regular people. These are college students who will say to me in all seriousness by the end of the course. You know, I just thought Israel was a country. It had been around for a long time, forever, and Palestine and the Palestinians were this other country, and they were trying to take over the Israelis. I mean, any concept of the Zionist um, project of, of settler colonialism turning uh, an Arab part of the Middle East into a Jewish state completely outside their, their conception let alone wider issues about um, Islam, Muslims, Arabs. Arabs are not Turks. Turks are not Persians. Persians are not Arabs. I mean, sometimes things that people listening to this podcast would take for granted is so sorely lacking. And that's why this kind of situation is so dangerous, is that it takes an already um, relatively uninformed group of people, young people, they are learning after all, and twisting them into a whole different direction, um, which can only compound it. And like I said, those of us who teach at the university level already see this kind of profound misunderstanding of the entire Middle East, not to mention the Arab-Israeli conflict. We already see that as a problem, and this would only make it worse. Thanks. Jean, uh, let's talk about the campaign. How many professors and educators have signed on to support the fight against these proposed uh, interferences by Israel lobby groups into the state textbooks? And, and why do you think it's important uh, that, that educators join the campaign? Yes, I have to um, refer to Paul here. Paul, was it 16? Yeah. A signatory? Uh, there, are, there are 14 current um, um, signatories that are professors that with that specialize in Middle East or history in Virginia, we uh, we cut it off. At, at we we when we contacted people, as you know, we learned about this issue in April. We had to act quickly. We got our letter out at the end of May. We had to when we sent the letter out in draft. We asked people to let us know. Uh, I think initially we asked for within a week. We. <laughs> We had trouble getting responses. We sent it another week, but we had to cut it off because we had to publish the letter because time, you know, the clock was ticking, um, and we were afraid the publishers were going to go ahead and start making some of these edits. Um, but we we did, even after we published this, we were told, some of the professors told us that they knew other professors that would want to sign on. So I, I don't think... The fourteen, I think, the fourteen that have signed on are are a are, the, are a um, microcosm of of the academic community that would come forth and support this. I, you know, I think just like Dr. Fishbach was saying, you know, they're they're on the front lines. They see the results of, um, you know, uh, inadequate education. <laughs> um, 
I guess, in this regard, uh, firsthand, um, you know, as, but we, we really all do. And, um, but yeah, so we have 14 so far. We, we, we think there are more that are willing, um, and we may publish more if we need to, we, we may continue this campaign. We're hoping with, with that this is probably enough to of a critical mass that we can now engage the decision makers, the publishers, and the secretary of or the Department of Education. The key was to to make them aware that this is a really serious issue, and that, that you know it's not just um, one or two people that are bringing this up. This is a serious academic issue, and there are many academics that are that will vouch for that. And so I think we've achieved that purpose. Um, we also, all the member groups of the Virginia Coalition for Human Rights, which are 16 member groups, uh, have all signed on to this as well, and particularly signed on to this uh, letter, not just as, you know, not just because they're members of the coalition, but for this particular issue. Um, and there, And also, we are aware of many other groups that are supportive of this. We just didn't have time to reach out to all of them and list them all, you know. Uh, it, I think this is a, a fairly straightforward issue where, you know, let's call things what they are. Settlements are Ill, illegal settlements are illegal settlements. They should be called out as such. Uh, military occupation is a military occupation. It needs to be called out as such. It needs to be taught as such um, in the textbooks. Uh, this is very basic, and I'm optimistic that a lot of people will, will – um, will agree to that and, and act on it, and maybe we can have some positive impacts. Well, if people do want to learn more about the campaign, uh, get involved, and perhaps um, start investigating in their own states if they're not in Virginia to see um, how and, and if these kinds of edits have been made to their community's uh, textbooks, uh, where can they go? That would be www.vchr. Dot org. We would also ask people to contact Governor Northam if you're a Virginian, state legislators in Richmond, uh, officials at the Virginia Department of Education, and spread the word about the issue on social media and to friends in other states, especially our friends in Oklahoma and Kentucky, where the textbook uh, review cycles are going on right now and the ICS is proposing edits for the textbooks in those two states. Again, that website for the Virginia Coalition for Human Rights is vchr.org. Paul, did you want to add something? Yeah. Additionally, I'd urge people to not just wait for something like this to happen, but to proactively work with their uh, educational institutions, all the way from their local schools, all the way to the state departments of education, in terms of um, what is being taught, um, whether it, whether it's textbook or other things. With the textbooks, as we've mentioned, not not only are there these very erroneous edits being proposed, but already the existing textbooks need improvement. So. Uh, you know, uh, ideally, we we could be proactively advocating for improvements to these textbooks, not just 
um, trying to defend against um, edits that would degrade the, the quality of the textbooks. Um, so that's one thing. And, um, and, and like Jean said, we do need help if people want to can call their, their um, state representatives at the state level because this is a, a state issue and it, you know, ed, the education secretary of education of the state um, and the, um, the House of Delegates and the state Senate in Richmond and Virginia. Uh, and they can do the same things in other states. Great. Well, we're going to leave it right there. We're, we're of course, going to keep watching this story. And um, and so I, I hope that you all keep us updated uh, on the campaign as it moves along. That has been the voice of Paul Norsey. He's the co-chair of the Virginia Coalition of Human Rights. Uh, also with us was Dr. Michael Fishbach, professor of history at Randolph-Macon College, and Jean Trebolsi, an educator in Northern Virginia. Paul, Michael, and Jean, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you. And that's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks to Sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant. For news, information, cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support the Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening. <laughs>